welcome to Tour of Truth with Krista and Company. And today's company, some lovely ladies from Bible study, Tina Grant, Courtney Laws, and Mary Cochran. Hi guys. Hi. 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 So we are excited. We are going through a study that is based on a book that was written by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. It is life-changing. It's been amazing for our group. This particular week, we're going to review the seven realities of experiencing God. God is always at work around us. Mary, always yeah. getting the gold star. Where's Martha? Who's our Martha in the group? <laughs> So that's right. So God is always at work around us. And reality, too, is that he is pursuing a love relationship with us. He pursues us right where we are. Despite the sin in our lives, he'll take us as we are. That's right. The third reality is that he invites us. He is inviting us into this relationship with him. And as we join him, as we come into the relationship with him, we find that he will speak to us. And he'll speak to us through prayer through the church, meaning through other believers, mm -hmm. through his word, and through circumstances. And we begin to recognize that. So reality five is a crisis of belief. When God speaks to us, he's going to ask us to do something typically that's God-sized. It's going to be out mm -hmm. of the box, out of our comfort zone. We've got to adjust our lives according to his purposes for whatever it is he's got planned for us. And then, as we adjust, we begin to obey Him. And when we obey Him, we get to experience Him. Yes. The focus of the Bible is God. That account in Genesis is not the record of Abraham's walk with God. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting because there's a difference there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the focus is about what God was doing, not recording Abraham's life for us. The essence of sin is a shift from God-centeredness to self-centeredness. Right? Yes, and that's right. one of the things we talked about this week in the study. Mm -hmm. There is a verse in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 7, and it says, Now these things became our examples, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is a New Testament scripture that we have, and it's talking about the things in the Old Testament the stories of Moses and all of the children, the rebellion, all these things that are happening were written down to be an example for us. But what I think is so fascinating about this New Testament scripture is that it says, do not become idolaters as some of them were. And the description is that the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Essentially, what is that saying? All they care about is the pleasures of life. No regard to God. Yeah. This reminds me of a phenomenal sermon from Stephen Furtick. And there's so much about it is what you just said. People are seeking worldly pleasures. The theory of hedonism says the highest purpose of human life is to seek pleasure, which is antithetical to what we believe. But his whole sermon, and I'm going to muck it up because he, <laughs> he does like a really amazing job with it. And it's very eloquent in the way he describes it. It was that we, as a, as a society, seek pleasure. And that pleasure is fleeting because whatever the source of that pleasure is how long that pleasure lasts. That's right. So if pizza is your pleasure, <laughs> then like your pleasure's so over. Right? Yeah. Your pleasure's over when the pizza's gone. Right. And if you eat too much, then you get a stomachache. Now you're miserable. So, <laughs> but I mean, if we think about it, like in all cuteness aside, like in our society with Facebook and Instagram, and mm -hmm. you see the stuff and the worldly pleasures and the, uh, the big houses and the mm -hmm. material things. And so he goes to this whole thing and talks about 
how joy that is God-given is eternal and it's sustainable because God gives it. And because he's eternal, it's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. And we can't find it outside of him. Right. It was really great. And one of the, the scriptures that he quoted was Hebrews 12, 2. And it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross. It wasn't pleasurable. It wasn't a a joy to him, but he did it for the joy that came after. And the joy that came after was our salvation. And that's what the Bible tells us. It tells us that we have a reward. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Absolutely. You know, and you only find that when you are earnestly seeking him and when you make him your priority. If your focus and and your priority is God, then your joy is coming from God. So it was really kind of insightful and I just right. thought it, and it, I, I thought it, it kind of bounced off of the whole self-centered life versus God-centered. It's funny, when you think about these two lifestyles, one would assume that self-centered living would be very gratifying and that God-centered living would be very hard. And the thought of it immediately evokes fear of missing out, right? But the surprising reality is a self-centered life can be mentally and emotionally exhausting. And I can testify to this fact because I have experienced the exhaustion of constantly running through my own mind. Now, Blackaby teaches, and rightly so, that obedience can be costly to you and to those around you. There may be times when you suffer for doing what God has called you to do. There may be times when your family or your friends suffer as a result of God's call or assignment. But there are also times when being in the center of God's will and doing His will is very refreshing. It is more fulfilling than anything that we could do for ourselves. In Psalm 84.10, it says, A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. I wanted to jump in and just say amen to that because I have never felt so much peace and so much joy as when I'm in the will of God and I know that I'm doing what he wants me to do and I know that I'm pleasing him. And I think that's just, wow. You know, It's a it, noticeable difference in your yeah. life. You can literally look back at it and be like, here's my life without God. Here's my life with uh-huh. God. I can see a difference. And there's right. a dividing line. Mm-hmm. I know for a while he pursued me because I had gotten... Mm-hmm. I was the lost sheep. I was way out yep. <laughs> in left field. Been there. Several pastures over. Yeah. Across some streams. So, <laughs> Been there. He just, right there with he you. He just was out on a mission to get me and get me back. And so I, I but I can pinpoint those times when I feel mm-hmm. like he kind of showed up and we call them little godisms where you're like, oh, I think, I think God's telling me something mm-hmm. or wow you, you sent this person in my life and and that was really incredible and, and they said and it starts to become no coincidence yeah right. and, and then it keeps happening and happening so you can definitely pinpoint those times and then that dividing line when you say I want this I want what God is offering and I want this to be my life if you will seek him with all of your heart he says if you'll knock that he'll open the door amen and he does I think we see a picture of this when Jesus ministered to the woman at the well. So the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. The disciples go into the village to buy food, and Jesus has this encounter with a woman who comes to draw water. The disciples come back and are wondering why in the world Jesus is talking to this woman, but they don't have the nerve to ask him. So she goes into the village to tell everyone about Jesus. Now picking up in verse 30 of John 4, it says, So the people came streaming from the village 
village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. I truly believe that Jesus was physically tired and thirsty when he sat at the well. But after doing the will of God, his spirit and his soul were so refreshed and revived to the point that it affected him physically. There is a peace that passes understanding with a God-centered life. Don't ever believe the lie that a self-centered life will be more fulfilling. You know, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. And you know, one thing I'll jump in on this and just say that we must trust him and his promises. We've got to be in his word to know what those are. But I can recall after turning my life over to God that I had to make major adjustments to how I had been living. And one of those was going out to bars. I purposefully quit. And the first few weekends, it felt a little bit strange. And then I remember one time I was wrestling with the idea that that it would be okay and that, you know, I could go out. And so I went upstairs. It was about 10 o'clock in the evening. And I ran and took a shower with the thought that I was going to go. After I got out of the shower, I realized that I was trying to fight this battle on my own. So instead of taking it and giving it to him and allowing him to give me the power to withstand this struggle... And, you know, immediately from that point forward, I never had the desire. He filled that. He completely took it away. And I've never had the taste for that or the And want. that's what it means to have the enabling of yes. the Holy Spirit. Yes. That he will enable us to overcome the things mm-hmm. that we're tempted with. But we have to ask him to help us to do his will, to give us the want even, you know, right. because we want to please him, but we can make it harder in doing so because we can look at it through the glasses of these rules. And it isn't. Courtney, you were talking about the joy. Yeah. He wants us to be filled with that unspeakable joy and peace that he can give us. I just say that not only that, that experience with the Lord only increased my desire to please him. So he tells us that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of all that I have said to you. And he also says when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. And so that's what he's doing when you're talking about these promptings in your spirit, you know, Mm -hmm. when you feel enabled or empowered. There's a story in Exodus. It's about Moses and he was trying to do something on his own that seemed like the right thing to do. But of course, we know that God didn't tell him to do it. He had grown up in Egypt, raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. And one day he decided to go visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He saw that nobody was looking. He murdered the Egyptian. So basically Moses took matters into his own hands and he tried to deliver just one Israelite and it cost him 40 years of exile which the Lord used to reorient Moses to God-centered living. When God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, how many lives were lost? None. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the whole point here is when we do things God's way, right? We ask God to bless our plans, and then we promise to give Him glory, but God's not glorified making our plans succeed. He receives glory when His will is done His way. Psalm 81, it's verse 10 through 12. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people wouldn't listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. That's a scary place to be. Yeah, It is. Mm -hmm. And God is such a gentleman that he will honor our free will, even if it does not line up with what his will is. Because he wants us to choose him. Absolutely. When the prodigal son came to his father and he said, I want my inheritance now. Obviously Mm -hmm. the father did not want him to do that, but he enabled his decision. For some people, 
listening, that may not make a whole lot of sense, right? But the logic in it is Mm -hmm. the fact that it is not love if you force someone to do something. That's right. Absolutely. It is only love when someone has free will to choose. Mm. Then it's love. And he wants us to love him from our own free will choice. When Jesus came to the land of the Gadarenes and he had healed the demoniac, all the people from the town came out and they actually begged Jesus to go away. So Jesus didn't stand here and say, no, I'm here to help you. You don't Mm -hmm. understand. This is good for you. They asked him to go away. He got in the boat and he left. He had just got there. Mm-hmm. But they asked him to leave, and so he enabled their decision. It tells us in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. God is saying, look, I'm giving you the choice. Life and death. Here's the answer. Choose life. Yes. But ultimately, it is up to us to choose life. God's giving us the choice. He's telling us the answer, but he leaves it in our hands. To follow that, the rest of that verse in Psalm 81 says, If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes? Mm -hmm. So the key is not a method, it's a relationship. God speaks to his people. And that's an interesting part of this week's study, you know, where Henry was pointing out the fact that God has not changed. He still speaks. And I think that's really important to bring up because there's a lot of people who think God doesn't speak anymore, that that only happened in the Old Testament, and that's just not so. You know, God does speak in different Mm -hmm. ways. There's not a method or a formula because if we could come up with some Mm -hmm. great method of the way God does it, we would just follow the method and then we wouldn't be in the relationship anymore. Right. And I think everybody has their own way. I know like my way of kind of self-testing and knowing that God is speaking to me is, I get like this overwhelming sense of peace when I know that he's kind of imparted to me. One of the keys for understanding his voice is understanding his word, getting in his word so that we know, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So that we know his character enough that when he's speaking to us, we also know what would be out of character. Mm -hmm. And so we can distinguish between, is this the enemy putting a thought in my mind? Because he can speak to you too. In Mm -hmm. fact, he does it all the time. A lot of Christians don't even realize that we're in a war. But the Bible says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities of wickedness in high places. And there is a spiritual battle going on. And that war is being waged in our minds because that is what the devil comes to do, to bring dissension, to cause problems, and to plant these seeds that we meditate on. You know, Mm -hmm. all these things that we're influenced by in the world. And it's all these seeds that are going into our minds that are influencing us, which is why the Bible tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it says, sanctify them by your word, because your word is truth. And Mm -hmm. so that is how our minds are renewed in his word. Mm If you aren't hearing God speak, there could actually be a problem at Mm -hmm. the heart of your relationship with the Lord. And I say that on the authority of the word, John 8, 47, it says, whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Mm Mm-hmm. I have a testimonial on that. This was a year or so ago. We were reading Experiencing the Spirit mm-hmm. by Henry Blackaby. Right. And we were coming into Bible study and everybody was having these great revelations and was just really filled with the Holy Spirit. And I did not feel it. And I was so bummed out. And I went home and one of my favorite things to do to relax is to run a bath. And so I ran a bath and I got my Bible out and I, I prayed and I was like, God, I don't understand why I'm not feeling this. Why am I not experiencing this? And 
And I felt really convicted. I'd never read the book of Malachi. I felt very convicted to open up to that. And the verse that jumped out at me was Malachi 1.13. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. And basically what God was telling me was, you're treating me at like a burden mm-hmm. and your service to me and your Bible study and your scripture time and your prayer time like a burden, yet you want me to fill you with the spirit and give you the rewards. Wow. And that was pretty harsh rebuke, but he treats us like a father and he reels you in when he needs to and, yeah. and I needed to be reeled in. And I just, I mean, it was like a light bulb or I don't even know how to describe it, but I just was horrified. I didn't even realize, but it just opened my eyes to that. But that's a beautiful revelation because it really is. is, I hear love. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. How deeply he loves us. And it does go back to the story of the prodigal son. You know, he loved him enough to let him go because he wanted him to love him back. Yeah, I will say, like, as soon as I realized that and I repented immediately and, like, begged for forgiveness, I was tears streaming in my face because I thought, oh, that is not how I want to treat you. He absolutely filled me with the Holy Spirit. And I did get to experience those things and have the awakenings and the revelations that everybody else was getting. And it absolutely changed the course of my spirituality. Your walk with the mm-hmm. Lord, right. I want to make sure listeners understand, people that might be listening that are believers and feel bothered by the fact that we just read that verse that maybe you haven't read before. John 8, 47, that says that if you don't hear from God, you don't belong to God. It might mean that. I don't want you to think that you don't belong to God if you do belong to God. And so I really want you to take to heart what Courtney just said, that she was a believer. And it's just about our walk and our journey with the Lord that she had to make an adjustment in her life in order for God to take her to that next place with him in the relationship. And I'll just say that for me as well, Courtney, when I was learning to walk with God, I had been going to church and been going to Bible studies and and I believed, but I had not really experienced him in the ways that I'd heard a few other people. So I had three people who really influenced me because of their stories of what God was doing or had done in their lives. And what made their stories very different than others was the relationship and the intimacy that they had with God. Mm -hmm. And it was full of passion. It was from the heart and it was real. And God worked through them to show me what I could have with him. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of what I heard too, that you're like, wait, I hear these things. And that's why it's so important for us to be amongst others, you know, in the body of Christ. But it's completely changed my life. And it's life changing to go from knowing about God to experiencing God. And that we have to respond to him and interact with him and have that relationship with him in order for this to happen. Yes. And we can look back through the Bible and we can see that when God chose to speak to someone, they knew it was God. And they knew what he was saying. And I thought that was really interesting Mm -hmm. too. You know, there really wasn't a question about what God was telling them to do. The other thing that was interesting is that when God was communicating with somebody, it wasn't necessarily for conversation's sake. It was important. That's the time that we need to pay attention. When God speaks, we need to listen. Mm -hmm. In John 10, Jesus said, The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The sheep listen to his voice. He says that the sheep follow him and they know his voice. 
And he calls himself a good shepherd. And he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So the key to knowing God's voice is not a formula or a method that we follow. Knowing his voice only comes from that intimate relationship. It's not just knowing about God, like you said, Tina. Mm -hmm. I do want to point out, because I thought this was important from this week's study, that Blackaby showed us in scripture where we need to be careful about claiming that we've got a word from God. If God has spoken to you, then you wait faithfully until the Lord brings what he's spoken to And sometimes that might be a long time. You know, Mm -hmm. Abram waited 25 years before his son Isaac was born, right? But if you've not really been given a word from God, but you tell someone that you have, the Bible says that you stand in judgment as a false prophet. So Deuteronomy 18, 21 and 22, they say, You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message that the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. I just wanted to add when we were talking about Abram and waiting on God, sometimes those waiting times are so important because that's where God is building our character. Right. And they're necessary. We're not ready for what God has planned for us. Sometimes some other people are not ready for what God has planned for us and he needs time to adjust them. How long did it take for King David to take the throne? He was anointed as a little boy. You know, he was running through the wilderness hiding in caves from King Saul, but he had been told, you know, it had been prophesied that he was going to be the king. I'm sure he was one Did God really say that? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. One of the things that Blackaby says in the study is the moment God speaks to you is the time he wants you to respond to him. Mm -hmm. Do not assume, however, that the moment God calls you, you are prepared for the assignment. And he uses Abram, later Abraham, as an example and how the promised child came 25 years after the promise. But during those 25 years, God was making Abraham a father suitable for Isaac. And it made me wonder if he had been given Isaac 25 years earlier, around the time of the promise, would he have passed the test of sacrificing Isaac on the altar, which we know that he wasn't forced to do. That was a test that he passed, but would he have passed that 25 years prior? So sometimes there is a bit of time between the anointing and the appointing. So there are times that God builds our character in between the anointing and the appointing. And as we said also with David, waiting 10 to 12 years to actually become appointed king from the time that he was anointed king. One of the examples that I see throughout scripture is in Psalm 105, 16 through 19. It says, he, speaking of God, called for a famine in the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. So we see God providing the answer for this famine that he called for. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now, a lot of times we think if if God's going to send us somewhere to do his will, he's obviously going to send us in a limousine. But it says (laughs) that he was sold as a slave and they bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. So there was suffering involved here. And then it says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams. Now, these were prophetic dreams that the Lord had given him. So he was called by God. The Lord tested Joseph's character. So there was a call of God that God had revealed to him as a very young man, but it was years later that the time came to fulfill those dreams. And now while Joseph sat in a prison after being falsely accused of rape, being forgotten by the cupbearer that was a former prison mate, I wonder what his thoughts were when he remembered those dreams that he had as a young boy. It's so encouraging to me that even when it looks like there's no way the dream is going to happen, if the dream was from God, he can bring it to pass. It doesn't necessarily need to look like you are moving towards the dream. 
I'm sure Abraham didn't feel any closer to the dream of having a child when 20 years had passed with no fruition. (laughs) Right, right. He's like, I'm not getting any younger. But Joseph had a dream for God, one that looked pretty impossible for quite some time. Abraham had a promise from God, one that looked pretty impossible for quite some time. And Blackaby writes that we are so oriented to a quick response, we abandon the word from God long before he has developed our character. Mm. And so we're encouraged in Galatians 6, 9, let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up and that reminds me of verses in the bible that talk about being faithful Mm -hmm. with little you know if we can't be faithful with little the lord will not give us larger assignments that's right i have a question for y'all so one of the things that i find is the hardest for me is waiting patiently because patience is not one of my virtues (laughs) (laughs) but what do y'all think and from your perspective what's one of the hardest things is waiting one of the hardest things for you too or do y'all have that's probably universal honestly especially for all women yeah Mm -hmm. i like to know that i'm not alone this kind of keep going back to what you brought up earlier we have to be patient and we have to just rely on knowing that he's going to do something and he's maturing us in that time Mm -hmm. that he's digging in for a deeper relationship god brings us to the crisis of belief and so Mm -hmm. sometimes that waiting period is waiting on the adjustment you might have heard god speak to you you know god is leading you but we're not willing to give things up yet yet. that's been my story i'm not really giving things up even though I might be doing everything, but the one thing that he's really asking me to do. There is not one time that God calls us to do something that an adjustment is not required. That's right. There's not. Mm -hmm. Just looking back at scripture. And I know that for my own life. That's my own personal testimony. There's nothing that I have ever felt God leading me or calling me to do that did not require me to adjust something in my life so that I could be obedient to his word. Mm -hmm. That's right. Which reminds me of something Jesus said. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Things that you were just saying reminded me of a verse in Matthew. It's Matthew 15, verse 8. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. We can have Bible studies. We can go to church. We can learn all these things and read all these books, and we can look super spiritual. And it all comes down to your heart. Mm -hmm. It comes down to what's in your heart. And God said, I search your heart. And that's where we're going to give an account, you know, what's happening in your heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I've found that when you're doing something that he doesn't want you to do, and you're not realizing that it's hindering you, it might not even be a sin. It might just be a hindrance. He will convict you of it. Get the correction, and then you move in the direction, and you obey. And Mm -hmm. the joy and the peace, everything that comes from that obedience, you can't put a price on it when I heard you say that you could do that correction a part of the correction is just to repent if we truly repent with our heart and we turn from doing whatever that is we are able to let that be in the past we're forgiven and we move closer to him so one of the things that Blackaby teaches us in our study is that human reasoning will not give you God's perspective and I think that is so challenging for us because we are a reasoning people But it tells us in Mark chapter 8, it says, Then he charged them, talking of Jesus, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. 
Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? So here we have the disciples that were using human reasoning. And Jesus said, you don't understand. When he asked them about how many baskets they had picked up after two separate miraculous works of God, they knew the right answer. They had head knowledge, but their hearts were hard, according to Jesus. I think human reasoning can be an indication of a hardened heart. Mm-hmm. Human reasoning will cause Jesus to respond with, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. It tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will and all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Woo, you're on fire today. I, I, yeah, you are. <laughs> I have to say that this also makes me feel so much better <laughs> because... Jesus' disciples are with him. They have the Lord in front of them, and it's hard for them to learn these lessons and get it. You know, in in an odd way that (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing so bad, right? (laughs) Not only were they with him, they actually took part in in those miracles because Jesus had the boys' lunch. He blessed it, and it says that he gave it to his disciples Mm. to pass out to the people. So the disciples were the ones that said, we only have five loaves and two fish. What is that amongst such a great crowd? And then those very same people were passing out the fish Mm -hmm. and the loaves to everyone. And so like, they didn't just witness the miracle. They actually took part in the miracle. And yet their hearts were still hardened. We cannot understand the things of God in our own reasoning. We cannot. It's the relationship with the Lord. You know, it's the Holy Spirit. He's got to be leading us, and we've got to be seeking Him, or we'll just never get it. And that's really what I feel like happens often with, you know, people teaching false doctrine, and they're trying to do things based on human reasoning. They're reading the scriptures, and, you know, this sounds right, and that's where the Bible says they'll heap up teachers for themselves, same with their itching ears want to hear, and they'll turn to fables. But the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end leads to death. So let's summarize this week's study. God hasn't changed, and he still speaks to his people. Tina, do you have anything? God speaks by the Holy Spirit, the Bible, prayer, through the church, or even our circumstances to reveal himself and his purposes and his ways. And then knowing God's voice comes from an intimate relationship with him. Mary? The moment God speaks to me is the moment God wants me to respond to him. And the moment God speaks to me is God's timing. Courtney, last but certainly not least. God develops our character to match the assignment he has for us. And God has the right to interrupt our lives because he is Lord. We'll close our time together out in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this day. And thank you for the opportunity to come together and study your word. I just pray, Father, that you would create in us a pure heart. Father, I pray that you would reveal to us any wickedness that might be within us. And that you would help us to have a steadfast spirit, Lord. That we would have a spirit that seeks to honor and to please you. That we would have a reverent fear of you. Your word tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to recognize the responsibility that we have as your children to be obedient, to be faithful. We are the bride of Christ. And you have called us to faithfulness. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to walk in your ways, Lord, as you teach them to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you'd like to hear another podcast or play this one again, you can find us at tourofTruth.com or also on Facebook. We'll look forward to talking with you again soon.